and here we go again. Up early, feed the dog, out the door, traffic, at the office, boss in some kind of mood today, no time for lunch, annoying co-worker, no time to relax, bedtime. Then we gotta do it all again? Uh, no way. Because the best way to break up the mundane every day is to play. At Wild Rose Casino and Resort. Slots, tables, sports, and a whole lot of perks when you join and play with your club wild card. So, let's play. Wild Rose Casino and Resort, Clinton. Does your financial advisor take the time to really listen to you? Is your financial strategy personalized for you and your family? Will your financial advisor be there as your life and financial situation changes? When you work with Edward Jones, they focus on what's important to you. You'll work together and use an established process to create a personalized financial strategy backed by the advice, tools, and resources to help you reach your goals. And they'll partner with you to help your strategy stay on track. Visit edwardjones.com or stop by the office of Todd Nash in Coralville, Jeff Rudolph, or Scott McGill in Iowa City, or Travis Whitmore in North Liberty. Edward Jones, Making Sense of Investing, member SIPC. Hello and welcome to the Hawkeye Hotspot Podcast here on hawkfanatic.com. It's a uh it's a historic day, Scott. We're we're streaming on YouTube live so people can watch our faces live now. Um whether they like it or not. Uh I am Rob Howe, joined as always by Scott Docterman. It is Thursday, September the 15th, a little bit before 9:30 a.m. Central Time. Got a lot to talk about today. We'll talk a lot of Hawkeyes. Um we'll even maybe preview the Nevada game a little bit there. I don't think we have to do a deep dive with uh, the Wolfpack. Uh, And we'll have our picks later in the week. And you'll want to listen to Scott because he's doing a lot better than I am in the picks. Um, How are you doing, Scott? This is – I don't want anybody to feel sorry for us, and they shouldn't feel sorry for us. But these are – I don't even say trying because I think that's overly dramatic. It just – these are the times where it makes our job more difficult. Um, especially with social media, um, when you're posting things and then you just get the flood of negativity, no matter what it is that you post, whether it's positive or negative. Um, so um, I'm hoping that the Hawkeyes can have something to feel good about this week and the fan base will as well, because it's just, it's not really a fun time right now. No, it isn't. And that's really the the shame of it all is because you look forward to college football for eight plus months a year from the bowl game on and, and you're, you know, it's beautiful weather right now. And, and we're, it should be the time to celebrate. And instead, this is the worst possible scenario, I think for Iowa. And that is that they're, they're the laughing stock and it's because they're offense. And that's just really difficult. I think for most people to, you know, to want to accept, but I think they're accepting it better than they maybe would you know, like uh, Colin Coward making fun of their schedule or something like that, because this is self-inflicted. I mean, we've talked about this before that they they had a lot of issues going into the season, and a lot of things had to work right before they could actually improve, and none of it worked, has have worked so far. And so that's really an unfortunate part of this. But yeah, the the negativity, the anger, the frustration is palpable. Um, you know, and sometimes we lose it. I mean, I lost it a little bit the other day because I all I did was tweet out the the um, 
kickoff time for Iowa Rutgers because it just it was just announced or whatever at six o'clock on uh, the twenty fourth. And somebody's like, nobody's going to watch that game until Brian Ferentz is fired or something. I'm like, you know, fine, don't watch. I don't give a shit, you know. And it's true. I don't care. <laughs> why, why tweet that to me? Like I'm like I'm connected to the team or something. I mean, you know, I'm just providing some information and, and you're eating me alive. And so it's, it's kind of, uh, yeah, I don't feel, I don't think anybody should feel sorry for us necessarily, but it's like, God, you know, lighten up Francis a little bit. We're not the ones out there making these decisions. We're not the ones out there recruiting guys. We're not out the ones missing on the transfer portal or anything we're reporting. And, uh, you know, everybody looks for somebody to blame and we're the most easily accept, uh, accessible people. So we're, we kind of get the brunt of it, even if it's not directed at us, we're indirectly involved. And, um, you know, you just kind of want something positive to happen just so it kind of dissipates for a little while because there's, it's a long season. There are going to be other angst ridden moments here coming up. Yeah, and I just think the magnitude of how bad it's been offensively, Scott, is, is you know, just kind of ratcheted up the rhetoric, so to speak. And uh, I think there were, you know, we, we questioned what this offense was going to be coming into this season after watching it in 2021. Uh, but we heard a lot from, you know, the, the program that – you know, things were going to be better, that changes were made, that John Budmeyer was better, and it's streamlining, having Brian Ferentz as the quarterback coach, streamlines, as the, and the offensive coordinator is a streamline, and we've just hit historically bad offense. I mean, the worst offense in the country, literally, by like 75 yards game, compared to, I think it's Colorado State, that the next school up there, I mean... To 2.6 yards per play. I mean, just historically bad. I don't think anybody saw this coming, which I think fuels that fire. No kidding. And that's, and I think that the, the third leg of that stool or whatever is that uh, not only is it, is it bad and historically bad, it's that there's no change happening. I mean, that's what people want. It's like, hey, this isn't working. Let's do something different. And instead it's, eh, no, we're going to stick to what we've got here. And that is probably the one thing where there is the biggest divide and disconnect. Because if Kirk would have flipped in the second, let's say the second half against Iowa State and went with Alex Padilla, or even this week and decided, you know what, I'm going to go with Alex Padilla as the starter, then I think that would lessen the anxiety a little bit because everybody's already seen Spencer Petras. And I think in some ways he's, you know, it's, it's kind of like, Hey, everybody's kind of moved on. It's time to move on. And, and yet, no, we're going to stick with this because it's not really his fault, even though part of it is. And, you know, and it is historically bad. It's the worst by far in the country. And there's not, the other part is there's not one aspect that you can hang your hat on and say, yeah, but they run the ball okay. Maybe they'll just do that for a while until everything catches up to the injuries. Uh, you know, everybody's back from injury and whatever. No, there's none of that. The running game and the, you know, is 127th in the country. Passing game, 127th in the country. Total offense, 131. I mean, scoring, seven total, seven points a game and only one touchdown. All of those things just make you go, oh, God. You know, so that, that's where, 
I, I think right now, and then the dis, again, the disconnect, whether it's just Kirk Ferentz or it's Kirk and his staff is, we're just going to wait things out and hope they get better. And I, I don't know if that's going to be the right strategy. And I know if that's not what fans want to hear. Yeah, and we'll discuss the quarterback situation more. Um, and I think what also, I'll use the word fuel again, also what is fueling the vitriol right now is the dynamic of the head coach hiring his son to be the offensive coordinator, and now they're in a corner. Mm-hmm. And, and can they – are they painted in that corner, and how can they get out of that corner? That's a great question. Um, the the issue, you know, I, I it's kind of chicken and the egg for me on this. How much of it is Brian and how much of it is Kirk? And I would say that for the first time, I I'm kind of in the more in the this is on Kirk than than Brian because Brian's doing a lot of what Kirk wants him to do. Um, you know, the quarterback decision. Let's not kid ourselves. It would be different if Brian Ferentz was the one making the call. And um, you know, the nepotism discussion. Yeah, I think that that's certainly valid um, because you're talking about a state employee makes nine hundred thousand dollars a year um, being hired by his father and his performance or the offense's performance, the performance that he's in charge of didn't last year, didn't live up to anything. So therefore, most places would make a change. Iowa chose not to. Iowa doubled down. And then this year, I kind of said, look, it's kind of like a race car driver who finished like second to last in a race all last year driving for his father. And then the next year, he's like driving in a freaking rainstorm and everybody else has sunshine, you know, and it's like, you know, you don't know if he still sucks because the, the all the other elements make it so difficult to know whether it's uh, it's his fault or somebody else's. And and I think that's where Iowa is. I think it's where Brian is. I mean, the, the, the howling is at a palpable level, probably the loudest I've ever heard it. But it's also like, is it fair now to judge Brian when he is so limited? I mean, they haven't even had a three receiver formation yet this year. <laughs> that's, and that was their primary formation the last three years was a three wide receiver set. So, um, you know, it, it, so it's almost unfair to judge him based on what the offense can't do, but he's the one in charge and the buck stops with him. And like you said, and the buck stops with Kirk Ferentz. And, uh, but this all just goes back to what they didn't do in the off season. They had the opportunity. Everybody was pushing for them. This didn't just come out of thin air, the injuries. Yes but not the problems. And then the problems just fell off a cliff this year. Yeah. To your point, I was thinking about this within the last few days. If you think about the most criticized coaches during Kirk Ferentz's tenure here, um, Ken Mm O'Keefe, who basically by the end, people were ready to go. And it was a celebration when he left. Um, Uh Greg Davis, same thing. And now Brian Ferentz. Those are three different people, but there's one common denominator. And it's not that there hasn't been success with what Kirk wants to do offensively and within the parameters of his philosophies, but it's restrictive and it's still restrictive. And I don't think it changes until he loosens up a little bit. But the situation they're in now, I'm not sure how much they can do based on um, 
the offensive line needing to mature and develop. That's going to take time. Uh, the receiver group getting healthy uh, and getting on the same page and getting back up to speed. This is all going to take time, and we just don't know how long it's going to take. But in the, the macro view, offensively, they need to change, and that's up to the head coach. Mm, you're right. Absolutely you're right. Um, I, I, I think right now that that has to be on the table for Kirk Ferentz unless he doesn't um, – unless he doesn't want to coach anymore because he just can't live this way. You know, you can live a complimentary football style without holding yourself down to the point where, you know, punting is winning has always kind of been a, a kind of a joke in some ways, but, and it's, there is some truth to it, but you just, the way that they play, they have to adapt. They just have to, they just can't play like this anymore. And you know, somebody asked me in my mailbag, which I published today, what would I like to see out of Iowa's offense? And I, I said pretty much a mix of what Minnesota does and what Iowa does. I like the running game aspect that Minnesota does. I like the zone run or zone blocking scheme Iowa does when they're, when they're good enough to do it. Um, but I also like zone read. I like having the ability to have a quarterback who can take the ball and run with it when either needed or wanted. And then finally, come on, man, wide receivers are like basketball players. Get the ball in their hands. And if you get the ball in their hands, they're going to want to play for you. And if you don't, and if it's Charlie Jones getting 37 targets over 14 games, um, they're going to want to go somewhere else where they can get you know, 21 catches in two games. So I, I think right now that they have to assess it. Kirk really should, in my eyes, the best thing for him, if he's willing to do it, is be a figurehead. Go ahead, go ahead and say, I demand that we block this way. But then the next coordinator, whether it's Brian or anybody else, can have free reign on how you decide to do things. I will help with, I will kind of take charge of game management in certain areas, like, hey, we got to slow this down. We got to run the ball a little bit more or speed it up. I'll call fourth downs, all that stuff. But overall, when it comes to offensive football, he's out of his element. You know, 20 years ago, he was in it. But the, but what we remember was 20 years ago, everybody ran a 4-3, had a 250-pound sledgehammer at linebacker. And um, and so Iowa's style worked. Everybody else has changed except Iowa. And and they don't have enough access to athletes to where you can you would have to completely infuse this system to make it look like it was anything like 2002. And even then, I don't think it's 2002 offense wouldn't work like it did back then. Yeah, I'm with you. I don't think anybody is calling for Mike Leach, the air raider, because I don't think that works with no. the defense. And again, yeah. it is complimentary, but the offense isn't complimenting anything right now. And you make a great point. I like Minnesota, what Minnesota does. I like what Chris Kleiman does at Kansas State. Even South Dakota State and North Dakota State, they're not throwing the ball all over the place. They're very balanced offenses, yeah. but there's some, you know, there's some ingenuity there. There's some creativity there. There's not just the defenses don't know exactly what's coming at them. And that's the case with Iowa right now. And again, it's compounded by the things we talked about earlier, the offensive line development and the wide receivers and the quarterback play and yada, yada. But 
overall, again, macro is what Scott and I are talking about. The philosophy itself needs to change. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if there's one aspect that I'm probably most disappointed in this year, it's the offensive line development. I think it is not good. And um, I'm not sure how many people listen to it. I was told about it because I work with one of the people. But yesterday, Jacob Hester was on Andy Staples' uh, radio show on Sirius XM and talked about how every single snap Iowa's line has a tell. That And before, you know, everybody has a little bit of a tell, but in their case, it's just so obvious that the way that they're set up, they're set up really light when they're going to move, and they're set up really heavy when they're going to go straight forward. And uh, the, the tight ends are, are looking at their zone for the, the to how to block. They've only ran run six counters, and the rest are zone um, running plays. So you've got a combination of very, very predictable play calling, which at this point you're so limited that everything's predictable, but then the lack of development and then the lack of either self-scouting or just understanding what you're doing is um, to me very, very troubling. And I'm not calling for anybody's job yet, but I would say that the having a year over year, I, I expected Iowa to be able to run block, especially run block much, much better than what it is. And I understand that most of the teams, Iowa State in particular, was like, we're loading everything. We're not going to let them run on us. And outside the first two plays, they didn't. Um, and um, But then you still got to do it. You still got to get some of those runs because you're going to have to break up the, the – make them pay down the field. But you can't do that if you can't run the ball. And I think right now um, – some heat needs to be applied to George Barnett. Maybe it is internally, but I think it's – if it wasn't for the quarterbacks this, and the overall just horrific offensive numbers, I think the spotlight would be on George Barnett at this point. Yeah, it's so much easier to see, like, when Spencer overthrows or underthrows somebody than it is when there are mistakes on the offensive line to the average fan. Um, but you can tell, even if you're not a – even if you're only a novice, if you're mm-hmm. looking – you can tell that the offensive line is it's been bad enough where you can tell it's it's uh it's not playing well and um it's that it unless that you know that development i mean it took to what the bowl game last year before they really hit their stride um mm-hmm. that's got to happen this year much quicker if this if they want to get something out of this season and um I don't know. I don't know if personnel changes is the, you know, if that's the answer or you just stick with the guys you have and, and hope they, they get, get it. And um, had a good conversation with Logan Jones the other day. Um, and right. I wrote a story for Hawk fanatic that'll come out some point either today or tomorrow, but um, he admitted, you know, that he was really nervous and anxious that first game playing and just that overrode anything that he was supposed to do fundamentally or, and that's not to be unexpected. This is a guy that a year ago at this time was playing defensive line and he was hurt too. He wasn't even on the field. You throw him out there in front of 70,000. You kind of get that. Uh, You move Connor Colby from inside to out. There's going to be a little bit of of a learning curve there. You're moving Nick DeYoung inside. Uh, You've got new guys at left guard. I get it. There's going to be growing pains, but it should be better than this. 
you know, another aspect is I went through their recruiting in 18 and 19. And it's it's a scorched earth. Yeah. Um, when you look at that, I mean, you've got basically, uh, you know, Linderbaum aside because he was recruited as a D lineman. They had seven guys. Three have landed on the depth chart out of those seven guys. Um, two, one one retired, uh, Cody Ince, who would be the best lineman by far and away. Mm-hmm. Justin Britt has been constantly hurt because of his knee. Uh, you know, he, he got hurt in high school. Probably got. Played earlier than he should have at Iowa. They should have just redshirted him for the first year instead of throwing him out there. But the guards were terrible in 2019. And then Jack Plum, who is you know is starting right now. You know he's the third tackle, and and that's all you got out of your top two, your two oldest classes. So for a guy like a Logan Jones or even Connor Colby moving positions, and normally you'd have two, maybe even three guys who are like seniors or or juniors who've played for a couple of years that are will be able to kind of calm them down, provide leadership. Hey, everything's all right. Just think about this. Just do this. I was here. I did this. <laughs> they're all in the same boat. I mean, Richmond and, and Colby played last year, but they're only sophomores. That was their first year playing. So I think that the lack of leadership and um, experience up front is, is huge in this. And so, but it does shine a line on development and it shines a light on, you know, recruiting and retention because, you know, when you have guys like Ezra Miller, you know, Noah Fenske and a few others that leave and go somewhere else. And, you know, you really put yourself in a tough spot. Tyler Andrews hasn't cracked the the depth chart. You've got to, it makes it very difficult. Yeah. And it's kind of, you know, as you say, you, you, when you have attrition at a position, and we've seen this at receiver too, it's, it's the two, the two hot spots right now on the hot spot are, mm-hmm. are, uh, our receiver and offensive line. And I think there's parallels there between the recruiting and development at both spots. Right. And, you know, the, the thing is, the sad part is that, you know, they, when you think about offensive line and you think about who else is on the staff, in uh, Brian Ferentz and Kirk Ferentz that, you know, Kirk is considered a guru. That's, that's not get ourselves one of the best that's ever done it. And Brian is really good too. That is, that is his forte in my eyes is offensive line and, and development. The way that they played under him, you know, for, you know, five years was really at a high level. And then I think that largely, <sighs> You know, they need to be, you know, either in charge. I'm sure they're, they're, they're really lending their advice, but to some extent right now, they are just, um, it's, it's inexcusable, frankly. They need to be better than what they are. And if that's because George Barnett's not up to the task, well, you know, I don't think Reese Morgan would say no if you asked him to come back for, to, to coach the rest of the season, even though it's been a while since he coached O line, but he knows what he's doing there. And then, or, you know, move John Budmeyer up and move Brian over. I know I'm, I'm grasping at straws just like everybody else, but I think at some point you've got to make sure that the offense, if the offensive line doesn't stabilize then whatever we're talking about at quarterback, wide receiver, running back, it doesn't matter because they're going to get, because you look at the teams that they're going to play, they're all going to just vaporize them. I mean, Michigan, Ohio State, Illinois will, Minnesota will, all of them, Rutgers will, you know, this week won't but the rest of the season they will if they don't get better 
Yes. Um, it all starts up front. It's a cliche for a reason because it's true. Um, and we'll see what happens. We'll see how quickly these guys can mature and develop because that's going to be the key to, to where this season goes. Uh, but it's not just them. It's the receivers. Will Nico Regani and Keegan Johnson be able to come back uh, and, and provide some spark? But the quarterback play needs to be better as well. Um, how much is that related to the offensive line and the inability to run the football? It's all connected. It's all kind of how you make the stew. Um, so, but you, the the quarterback is the position that is most recognizable in terms of the play. You, people don't, again, the novice fan's not going to say, um, well, this guy wasn't blocked right or this guy didn't run the right route at that time. There, we're we're seeing certain signs and certain deficiencies with Spencer Petrus right now that are are solely on him. There, there's plenty of things that are are affecting his play, but you know, having time to throw and and, and not making a, a you know a, a completing a a simple five yard out that that just that can't happen. So. What do we do here? Well, Kirk Ferentz is sticking with Spencer Petrus this week against Nevada. It's an interesting um, point in time, Scott, because you can look at this a couple ways. I kind of like doing it this way. This is just me personally. I'll be interested to hear your opinion. I think you put Spencer Petrus out there this week. If he hits the ground running and looks great, wonderful. You've, You've shown... He, you know, you give him some confidence. You have him still, lock, you know, locked into the, to, uh, you know, what what he wants to do, and maybe builds on can build on it. I think if you bench him going into the game, and then you put Alex Padilla in there, and he struggles, now you've lost two guys. At least if Pe- Petrus goes out there, and, and maybe. And I can see a couple different scenarios. Maybe you let Petrus play the first half and he plays well, great. And then give Padilla the second half and see how he does just to get him acclimated and get him some run and prepare him in case you start Petrus at Rutgers and it just reverts back to what we saw the first two weeks. Then you can go to Padilla. There's a lot of ways to play this here. I kind of like starting Petrus in this game just for the what I mentioned before. If you put Padilla in and maybe he struggles, then you've got two – you're maybe in two quarterbacks' heads. But what do you think? <laughs> it's a lot there. I mean, there's really yeah. no easy answer. Right. I I guess I understand uh, – I'd probably side more with let's just try something else. And, and, part and I of can it is, see that. I, yeah. I, I, I can definitely see that angle too. And, and it's more because I've seen him miss too many makeable passes. Yeah. And, and that's been the problem for me, you know, and really last week wasn't as bad this week was, or the first week was just horrendous. I mean, there were eight passes I thought uh, in the first game that I'm like, no, you cannot miss that pass. And then of course he had the interception right before a half against Iowa state. That was just, you know, and he said this week that his two areas of, that he really needs to improve on our timing and footwork. And, you know, his footwork's never been there ever. You know, and at this point, that's a little it, alarming at this point, Yeah, you know, as much as he works on it, he works religiously on yeah. his fundamentals. He, nobody works harder than Spencer Petrus. I will give him platitudes all day and night on that, but 
it's it's like come on man <laughs> you know you, you you're you're one and one but it feels like you're oh and eight i mean it's just this is the kind of season where you're having and it's like at this stage with alex padilla what do you have you know he's a fourth year junior who he played uh, what he did he play well last year in spurts he did but you know with petrus over the last you know 10 games eight of which he played in he's thrown one touchdown and nine interceptions Padilla had two and two. Uh, each of them have led six touchdown drives over the same span, but the number of plays and games and series that um, Petrus has had has just been way more than what Padilla has had. So I, I kind of lean that way. I understand the rationale that, hey, everything is so bad here that we at least rather have a guy who knows to, for the most part, throw the ball away and punt rather than somebody who's going to try to do too much and get us in a really, you know, bad situation. But you can't think that way every time. You know, you, you can't be that risk averse um, when you're in game three. Last year, you could down the stretch because you had something to play for. Now you've got, you know, something to possess, I should say. But now you've got something to play for. you got the whole season in front of you. And if you don't have somebody playing at a, a semi-high level, I mean, Michigan and Ohio State are top five teams. They'll roll you. And I didn't think twice about it. So I think at this point, um, I would go that direction. I understand the rationale, though. And it's just, I think, again, probably the fan side of everybody is just do something different. And that's from scheme to, you know, they haven't tried Wildcats since early last year. They, they've only ran three jet sweeps all year, and one of them was a pass. Um, they don't have the personnel to do it very well, but it's like you're not trying anything different, and it's more blasé than ever before. So I, I totally get the anger and vitriol over status quo. Yeah, and so do I. And I should uh, also mention I would have tried to be a, already. Yeah. You know, but I'm talking about the position they're in right now. I kind of see this as the best path, but it's certainly not a given. And I can certainly see this not going well. Um, but I would have tried. I would have tried Alex already. Um, I don't know what he looks like in practice. That's kind of the, I don't know, that's kind of Kirk's out that we can't see practice, although we, we, we would be willing to see practice. Right. To, to evaluate the quarterbacks, and they do. Uh, what we have to go on is what Padilla did last year. Looked pretty good against Northwestern in spurts. I think he was, what, 11 of 26 for 200-plus and a couple touchdowns against Minnesota, if I remember right. And yeah. I looked these stats up the other day, and I think he threw for 83 yards against Illinois. Now, uh, that one was not all his fault. Not I, all I, his, I, I, yep, I agree. I, I went through that one, and when I did my series with Brian, that was one where we talked about it over the phone because I said this was one that I'd like to talk about. And uh, I said after rewatching this game, I thought this one's not on you. Yeah, you got to you know there were two aspects. One, there were six drop passes, and two, that was probably even though Tyler had a like 130 or 140 yards or something like that. Uh, that was not one of his better games because he was constantly dancing when he should have been just putting his head down in a few times. And he's like, by the middle of the third quarter, I just threw up my hands and I said, I don't know what the hell to do anymore because people are dropping every fucking 
pass. Or sorry, I have every pass <laughs> live uh, on, on, YouTube. on YouTube. It's yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I guess I'm using some Brianisms here, you know, and because uh, you know he has a lot of blame. No, I'm not going to solve him of this, but but when receivers drop six passes, you can't blame the quarterback and you can't blame the offensive coordinator for that. You got to blame the receivers um, for not catching the ball, and, and they were catchable passes. They weren't just like, hey, they touched his hand when they're you know a foot and a half behind him or whatever when he's running full speed. So. Uh, so that's, I guess I give Alex Padilla a little bit of a pass. Now, I, here's a scenario. I, I want you to see what your opinion is. If, let's say, Spencer really struggles again. Let's say he starts out two for six, the interception, and it's late in the second quarter. Everybody's booing. They decide, all right, we've enough's enough. We're going to go with Padilla in the second half. At that point, what I would do is, I would drop him to third team because I'd want to see, all right, it's time to get the latest in the army and put him at second team and Padilla first team, because you got to see what you got at that, that position, you know, and then, and, but Petrus, he could step in in a, in a tough spot. Like let's say Padilla plays pretty well, but they've got a three point lead and midway through the fourth quarter against Michigan at home, then, okay. You know, you could vault Petrus over and said, Hey, the situation's, dictating but otherwise I, I want to see what you have going into next year because if you don't know what Petrus can or I mean uh, Padilla certainly but Labus can do then I'm kind of like you know you got to know if you need to hit the portal or not what do you think yeah you if you remember I know you do um in 2008 when Christensen got benched for Stansy, Stan or uh, Christensen had to come in against yeah. Iowa State, and yeah. I had to win that game. Yeah. Um, so I, that you're, that's a scenario where we have some history. It's way back and only a little bit, but mm-hmm. it certainly makes sense. Um, I just and, and I and I again, uh, I I know I don't need to say this, and people don't care. Um, I there's not a there's not a more likable guy that I've covered at quarterback. Than Spencer mm-hmm. Peters. And I think you'd probably agree with me. Absolutely. Um, 100%. This day and age of football, you have to have, you don't need a dual threat guy. You have to have a mobile quarterback. You have to have a guy that can move the pocket and play off schedule. And um, because defenses are just so fast. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think Padilla is certainly a step above where Spencer is in terms of mobility. And Labus is a step above that. So, but then I also wonder, Scott, how much would they uh, form, cater the offense to that ability of those two guys? How much flexibility is there going back to the beginning of this conversation with the man who runs this thing? uh, How much is he willing to adjust? Well, you know, one thing that I did see in the spring that I liked was they ran different types of plays for when Spencer was in and when yes. Alex was in and when Joey Lavis was in, that they were moving more on the perimeter. There were more bootlegs or more rollouts and, and things like that, which will enable him to get his feet out and, and do the right thing. And, and so I guess I think overall that that wasn't, they would do more of that. And, and again, once you get the wide receivers back, then you can expand that offense and, you know, get, you know, it sounds like, you know, listening to last night to Kirk Ferentz, you know, Brody Brecht's on a, 
you know, pretty good track now. He'll be able to seize more snaps. That Nico Regani is very, very close. Um, he and Keegan have practiced all week. Um, Keegan, just because he hasn't really done anything since the bowl prep won't be there. But, but so I could see them adapting some of it. That doesn't mean they're going to call a bunch of zone read runs for <laughs> Alex Padilla, maybe latest, but, uh, you know, I, I think it's, uh, you know, that, that would be the path that I would expect if he was in there, that they would not just straight drop back a lot, that they would actually move him more, move the pocket and probably take some pressure off the offensive line and pass blocking just because then he has an opportunity to get wide, narrow the field. And if, if he needs to run, he can run. It's an intriguing week because of the scenarios that we've talked about. If Spencer goes out there and just is money and this offense just kind of clicks and they play him the whole game, then we'll, mm-hmm. the, you know, does that mean it's going to happen against Rutgers? Let's, I mean, you know, again, we're not going to deep dive into Nevada, but Nevada gave up 616 yards and 8.9 yards per play to uh, incarnate one. So if Iowa can't, do so show some signs of life life on offense that is not a good foreshadowing for the rest of the season no this this has to be their breakout game this is the worst opponent on their schedule um way worse than south dakota state i mean they they, yeah they beat new mexico state who got trucked up in gopher land and i think the gophers were um, roadkill yeah, right. <laughs> I love that. Yes. Way to go on that one, Roadkill. I love it. <laughs> but no, I mean, you know, they were, and I think they took it easy on them because of Jerry Kill, you know. So yeah. I, I think this is one where get your running game going, get some passes in. If Brody Brecht is there, if Nico Regani was there, certainly. But if Brody could. How much run, do you play those guys? I would try to play Nico's you know, 20, 25 snaps, okay. something like that. I mean, I, I would still lean really, really hard on your two tight ends, um, but I would try to keep – and this is the one, you know, indirect aspect of it. Having Laporta out wide really negates much that he can do. I mean, he just isn't – he's a good tight end. I, I think he's an NFL tight end, and I think he's a, a guy who's probably third-round draft pick or something like that. But, you know, yeah, I agree with different. you. I thought – you know, Iowa State put a corner on him and just neutralized him. Yeah, you know, because you got to body him up, and yeah. you know, because or in his case, he's got to use his body against a corner, and whether it just you know that's a, that's a lot to ask of a tight end to do that against a corner when you're running routes. Now, if you want to run that direction, he'll bury him right in the ground. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it, it's it's really hard unless you're on the goal line to make that situation work. I think. Noah Fant would have been the only one that I can remember in recent years. Maybe George Kittle when he was healthy that could do something like that. I mean, Kittle now, of course, could. But, uh, you know, but but that's taken away his effectiveness because he's better, you know, in line. And it, and they can kind of work their running game better. So I, I hope if Brody Breck gets in there, I want to see a deep pass. That's Spencer's best forte is just launching the damn thing. And uh, I would – and Brody's best move right now is, you know, outrun the coverage. And if he could do that, if they could connect on like a 60-yard pass for a touchdown and, and a night crowd at Kinnick and it's early in the game, that place will be set off and the booze will be out. And it'll be booze with a Z-E instead of an S. And he's the, he's the Brandon Smith body type. 
Yeah. Not saying he's has that athleticism, but he's he brings something that they they haven't had so far this season. Um, and he's just he's a different animal in that room that can kind of potentially create some mismatches. And you and the thing is, you really need more guys out there so you can limit Arlen Bruce because mm-hmm. you're you're expecting him to take all these snaps plus return punts, and you're exposing him to injury when you're doing that not not that that's the only reason because you want your best players out there but you know sometimes he needs a a breath or two uh, you know play off and you're not giving it to him and if you can get Regani back and Brecht back and maybe Keegan Johnson by Rutgers or Michigan then maybe you can look at them all and go okay um, you can start rotating maybe put in some three receiver sets keep the tight ends inside um, you know, sprinkle in an Alec Wick once in a while, but, but you know, not don't force anything. Then you become a little bit more balanced. You have a little bit better opportunity to move the ball. I'm not going to suggest they're going to be some juggernaut or anything like that, but just, just give your defense a rest because there are going to be teams. I mean, last week, I would say that the 99 play drive or 99 yard drive felt like 99 plays. <laughs> you know, <laughs> 99 play drive. Yeah, they completed uh they converted 98 third downs, I think, on that drive. <laughs> it felt like, it was like five. I mean, it was a tremendous drive. But you know, that was the result of Iowa's defense already being out there for so long. Gassed, you know, man. They were gassed. And uh and Iowa State credit to them. Great yeah. drive. Absolutely tip your cap to them. But and Xavier Hutchinson was the best player on the field. Yeah, right. You know, he made plays and in the end zone, you know, whether Riley slipped, they got tangled up a little bit. Um, doesn't matter. It didn't get called. So, um, you know, and then there was a, you know, there were a couple of question marks, but you know what? You don't worry about that stuff. And I, I think if the offense would have been able to, you know, I mean, if Monty Potomac doesn't fumble, you know, then, then that's just a touchdown. And it's just one touchdown that they've allowed all year. So <laughs> you got to, you know, so this all kind of comes back. Goofy game, man. Yeah. I mean, Iowa State turns it over twice going into the end zone. Pick yeah. and a fumble. Iowa yeah. fumbles at the goal line. There was the the out-of-bounds catch that was yeah. I thought should have been reviewed that wasn't. Yeah. There was the Cooper DeGene personal foul that I didn't agree with. The Riley Moss one and Xavier Hutchinson, to me, that's a toss-up. I can see yeah. that one. Some I would say probably close to 50-50. That's called one yeah. way or the other. And actually – Probably less than that because most of yeah. the time they just let them play, unless it's something egregious. Yeah, and most of the time if it's the defender falling down, yeah, they will call it. If it's the offensive player falling down, they'll call it by every time. And, and even then, oh well, that that stuff happens, you know. So, you know, I'm not taking away anything from that defense. They, you know, the in a block, two block punts, you've got to do more offensively. That is a game where, and I'm sure this will haunt Kirk. You know, depending, especially if they get this offense turned around a little bit, even is that this is one of those games that'll keep them up late at night. Thinking, damn, you know, there's no way Iowa State has two end zone turnovers and two block punts and wins the game at Kinnick Stadium against that defense and that special teams unit. There's just no way. Well, when your offense is playing that poorly, it, there is a way, and. Um, you know, yeah, Jarrell Brock got smacked by uh, Kayvon Merriweather. Great, great, great tackle, um, you know, forcing the fumble at the at the goal line. And I guess kind of hit more of his own player at the same time, too. But still, you know, that's what happens. And But, you know, Potabon, if that would have been called a touchdown on the field, it would have stayed a touchdown. 
It was so you know, close. Right. I mean, I thought it was a touchdown, but but then again, hey, you know, that's I thought happens. it was a fumble. So that yeah. shows you right, right there. That's yeah, how exactly. close it was. Exactly. So you let the officials call it on the on the field. And and yes, I do think that the third down that catch on the sideline, that absolutely should have been reviewed. And I'm still really surprised looking back that that took place. And, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, and, and then the hurry up part of it, that's where in the big 10 and Kirk brought it up yesterday too, is in the big 10 that, uh, that would have been called a, uh, uh, you know, that would have been whistled yeah. really quick. And in the Big 12, apparently it isn't. And and I thought there were some spots that were bad, you know, probably more in favor of Iowa State, but I'm not going to, that's neither here nor there. But, you know, I, it was a it was a weird crew and it was a weird game. I see Carl Jackson is going to be the honorary captain. Nice. Um, we talked about this a lot in the offseason, Scott, that a game would come down to a kick and probably more than one game. And it may not just be the end of the game, but within the game, important kicks. Aaron Blum's one for three now. The last kick was in the rain. The conditions weren't great. You got to give him a little bit of a – cut him a little slack there. I'm just wondering where they are at that point because we're at a – I think it's even more magnified now that Iowa's going to be playing a lot of close games. Hopefully they'll stay close. The defense special teams will keep it close, that these kicks are going to matter even more. I'm wondering where that competition is right now and, and, uh, you know, how confident they are that Aaron's going to go out there and hit the next one. I'm there with you. Uh, The other day, I'm not going to criticize him for missing a 48-yard field goal from the right hash mark in the pouring down rain. It was just a downpour. It sucked. Um, I was standing out there stupidly uh, doing it. And uh, (laughs) and I was was drenched for the rest, I mean, for like the next five hours. Um, But it was, uh, you know, when you're one for three, you missed one in the first game, missed a very important one in the second game. And I'm not, you know, Keith Duncan's made those types of field goals, but I'm not going to compare a, a somebody out there for their first big game to Keith Duncan. But I'll say this, that, you know, it, it was makeable. Yes, it was difficult. It was probably, it's not, it's beyond criticism. But, you know, it's a competition. And now you're starting to go, okay, is is he better than the other guy? Is he better than Drew Stevens? And they kind of gave Drew Stevens the, hey, okay, you're going to kick off. But, um, you wonder where this is going to end up because there are going to be other games where you're, you know, you, you know, in this team, a field goal in the second quarter is going to be big. And if you miss a, you know, they, they have actually put, you know, they haven't put together a good drive yet or one that's ended in points yet that of a, of a decent drive. But if they uh, put one, uh, put one together and they get inside the 15 and the drive stalls and he misses a, 33-yarder or something like that, then you probably do need to look at the other guy. Yeah, I'm with you. I I don't think that the miss at the end of Iowa State is something that you can jump all over him about. I just think it, like you said, I think it keeps the competition open. I think it it keeps the, okay, if he misses another one, it's that body of work Mm -hmm. that (laughs) – 
that you want to focus on. And you kind of it keeps things. If he would have made, if he's if he's three for three right now, there's no we're not having this discussion. He's one for three, so I think you wonder about that next time and how close the competition is. Similar quarterback, how close the competition is, how long is the leash, so to speak, since we're throwing out all these cliches. But uh, it's something to keep an eye on. For, for, no question well, about that. Yeah, and, and really, it's you think about it, the difference between kicker and quarterback at this point is the quarterback has a lot of equity in the bank. You know, he's <laughs> he's he's been a starter for a couple of years, and everybody knows, uh, as you said with Spencer, um, impeccable character, um, really represents himself well, is a true leader, uh, works hard, uh, the kind of guy who can go out and drink with the boys, but also – you want to put him in front of the community. He's perfect there too. I think knows the game inside and out. So all those qualities have given him a longer leash, per se. Um, there's no equity built up in the kicking room. You know, the, they're just right now, um, you know, competing. And Aaron Blom's one for three. I'd like to see him get a couple more opportunities. Uh, not that you want four field goal efforts like uh, Duncan and Shudak recently, <laughs> but you know, you want to see him get, all right, you know, here's a, a 34 yarder. Here's a, a 23 yarder if you need it. And, you know, maybe a couple, God forbid, a couple extra point opportunities, you know, then that way you can kind of make a, a, a decision that's based in, because yeah, they're going to, they're going to have a lot of games where it's going to come down to a field goal here, a field goal there. Yes. If, if Richard Dreyfus was uh, in charge of, fixing the Iowa offense or helping the Iowa offense. He would give the baby steps book out. And uh, to, what about Bob reference? We're old here, so we're going to make yeah. old references. But that's kind of it. And if you can get some drives that get you some field goals, that's the first step. And then, you know, we, we need to kind of take this one step at a time. And to your point, Scott, I think there are going to be opportunities even this week for Aaron Blum to get out there and show, you know, Grab the job or it stays open. Yeah. I would have probably used, uh, we're going to need a bigger boat. <laughs> <laughs> also, Richard Dreyfus. Yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, that's what I thought you were going to go with. I'm talking about the offense and its issues, but uh, a much yeah. bigger boat. <laughs> <laughs> and probably the jaws itself. Yeah. Uh, um, I, yeah. This is, this is going to be a big week, I think, for them because, um, if he can't, you know, they're playing an opponent where they should drive the ball, you know, and if they, they should run the ball. Yeah. They should run the ball. They should have some big plays. They should have a few touchdowns. Yay. You know, and then maybe a few field goals to go along with it. And at that point you go, all right, this is your chance, Aaron. Blum. if you're three for three, because the weather should be okay, then, then, you know, all's well, but if not, if he's, let's say, two for four, and one of them's a decent 43-yarder, another one's a good, you know, but he's missed a couple, then I think you really got to look at, at flipping because you got a road game at Rutgers at night, Michigan at home, and then you're going to Illinois. I mean, so there's a lot there. Defensively, um, a, another good performance by Iowa, other than the gas that was, you know, the tank was empty on the 99-yard drive, and Iowa State made some plays, and we talked about some of the, you know, questionable uh, uh, 
plays and, and things that could have been reviewed maybe or, or things like that. But um, first week without Justin Jacobs, um, uh, I noticed linebacker on wide receiver got uh, once and yeah. that got switched real quick. <laughs> flashbacks to the flashback to the uh, what year was that? Was Klinkenborg was on covering a receiver down the field and Phillip, eights. Philip Bates, two thousand seven. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think there were flashbacks there where the Iowa coaches were like, "Nope, we're not doing this." Um, so he, he's a big piece out of the that you know out of the defense that you really want to get back. It's sooner rather than later. Um, but I think Iowa can lean on some cash a little bit more. Um, tough news with Jamari Harris, too, because that, you know, that give that you're, you're losing a guy that can, because you've got the flexibility of Cooper DeGene and Terry Roberts. Now one of those has to play cornerback. Yeah. And the other one's a cast. So you're, you're dealing with depth there. But um, I think just, Finishing the thought on the defense, the offense needs to help a little bit more to to keep the defense fresh. If it does, the defense is fine. Yeah, I have very little concern about the defense. I think if anything, I would you would like to see uh, Justin Jacobs be back by the time they play Michigan. Yeah, you know he's not going to play this week. Mm, probably doubtful, I would say for Rutgers. But but uh, Cooper DeGene had an awesome game the yeah. other day and. Yep. Uh, had 11 tackles, had, um, you know, an interception in the end zone, had, you know, it, you know what, it, I know some people thought it was a questionable uh, uh, roughing play on the, on the edge there. That's probably so close that you probably shouldn't do it, not in today's era. And he'll learn, he'll understand. But that said, I, I thought he was terrific. I think he could play that cash role and, and I don't know that they should deviate much from it except in third and short and goal line type situations anyway, because I think they're so good there. Uh, the Jamari Harris one is tough, but if you keep your corners healthy, it's not going to matter because Terry Roberts has played really well and it killed him to fall down. <laughs> you know, when he, when he intercepted that pass, it almost was like he missed it because he's so disappointed because if he keeps his feet. He probably scores. Yep. Um, and uh, what a way that would be to win the Cyhawk, right? You know. Uh, so I, I think they're in an okay situation. And then now, if you get past those two, you know, what do you do? What happens if somebody is down for a series, a quarter, a game? Is it, uh, you know, do you move Cooper there and somebody else like Sebastian Castro plays? cash or do you move like Brennan Diaz Fernandez in to play corner for non-cash or cash situations you know that's why Phil Parker's the wizard that he is so yeah they still have enough pieces there I mean I think Castro's certainly he would probably be starting on a lot of defenses oh uh, yeah for sure so I, I certainly and Diaz Fernandez is kind of slowly built up and developed and I think he's probably ready if given the opportunity much like Jamari was last year so um, I think they're okay there you just you start losing guys and then you're like it, it becomes the the depth is depth is something that programs like Iowa usually don't have a ton of compared yeah. to Ohio State and Michigan and Penn State the blue blood programs have more depth 
So then you just want to keep an eye on that as, as a potential landmine. Sure. Yeah. And last year, it didn't look like it was going to be a problem until it became a problem. Yeah. Uh, you know, when, when Riley Moss got hurt against Penn State and then Terry Roberts got hurt after that and Matt Hankins got hurt and, you know, they're able to bring back Riley, but he wasn't as good as what, what we saw. And then, you know, but Jamari Harris stepped in um, after Roberts got hurt, had four interceptions, a really good year. Um, you know, if, the, the, if there's one sh- little shining bright spot out of it is he can redshirt. Yeah, he didn't redshirt before, so um, so he redshirt him this year, um, and then next year he comes in, and it'll probably be him. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if Roberts returns. I, you know, I mean, I don't know that he's got an NFL pedigree right now, um, resume, but you know, it wouldn't surprise me at all if it was those two. And then, you know, T.J. Hall has also been looking yep. pretty good, and as we've seen in the past, they they're not afraid to play a true freshman corner and. Uh, it's worked out for them when they've done that. Another storyline that we talked a lot about coming into the season was the uh, Quinn Schulte, Xavier yes. Wong by dynamic. I think Quinn Schulte's answered a lot of questions. He's been outstanding. Right? <laughs> yes. I mean, the first game he had four breakups and they were, they were big time hits. I mean, they were dislodging the, the ball. And um, so again, you know, we, we all kind of wonder and criticize and, and what have you. And I don't know that anybody, you know, any of us necessarily criticized Quinn Schulte other than kind of the coincidence <laughs> that, all right, here's another in-state safety from a parochial school who's a walk-on who, who uh, starting again. But, you know, Jake Gervas is still in the league, earned a Super Bowl ring. Jack Kerner should be on a team. He's not yet. But, um, you know, but last year he had the most solo tackles for an Iowa DB since Bob Sanders. So he was, he was a quality starter. And then, of course, now you look at uh, Quinn Schulte and the way he's played. Uh, there's no question that he's there. And, and I, I guess I look at it as next year, you, you know, Kayvon probably goes to the league. And, and uh, that's where Xavier Wampo will end up playing. Yeah, and a lot of, lot of depth in that back end there as well from the safety position. They've got some, some good guys on the roster that uh, – are working behind some guys that are playing really well right now. Kayvon, I think, has taken the next step so yeah. far this year. I think he's really solid. Um, you know, he, he had some breakdowns at times last year, but he's been pretty solid through two games. Yeah, he has. And, and you know what? He's really stepped up as the vocal leader, maybe, a, you know, certainly at the back end, I think. And, you know, to his credit, I mean, all the things he's done, and, and we recognized him last year, you know, with the inaugural Duke Slater award, because we just felt that he was, you know, emblematic of, of what we like, you know, in, in just dealing with people. It doesn't have to be good or bad. It's just how you deal with them. And then to see him, you know, be a team captain, to see him, you know, just, you know, I watched a little bit last night, you know, the, the trip to Selma and, and Montgomery and, and uh, just the way he's really taken leadership responsibilities on defense. It's, you know, he's he's becoming that really good story, but he, he might be playing at a, you know, a recognizable letter, level for the Big Ten. I'd say Spencer Peters has a good argument for the second uh, Duke Slayer Award so far this year. The kid comes out, I will say, yeah. he comes out and answers every question every yeah. week and does it politely and yeah. thoughtfully. And I still have... 
and, and I know this has been this way since Kirk got here, but I still think it's there's some inequity in the quarterback having to answer questions every week and the offensive coordinator not having to answer questions every week. I think there's some inequity there, but I give Spencer a lot of credit for how he handles himself. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm, I'm there with you on that. I mean, it would be good. I mean, and, and, and good times and bad. I, You know, one thing I remember when I was at the Gazette and I covered a few Michigan State, I would go to their press conferences. And a lot of times D'Antonio would have his coordinators come in and it would be very, very quick. There would only be a couple of questions. They kind of give a quick synopsis and, hey, what happened here? What did you see? And then, you know, Pat, Pat Narduzzi at the time would say, you know, hey, it looked like uh, Danico Salen got leg whipped by Matt Tobin when Mark Weissman scored a touchdown. <laughs> As well, it doesn't surprise me that that happened, you know, playing Iowa, you know. <laughs> so, I think so. Iowa, does Iowa State have its coordinators available via Zoom each week? They are available. Yeah. I can't remember. Sometimes they were in person before. Okay. It's been, uh, you know, but yes, they, for the most part, they are. It's very quick. Um, yeah, I'm it doesn't have to be a lot, man. Yeah. It doesn't have to be a lot, just a little bit. Because almost every game, there's a you know a question or a call where you're you're wondering what that you know what the coordinator was thinking. Mm-hmm. And and again, I think that you know it's the same thing to me with the head official of every game. Yeah, you know, I agree. And I'm I guess I'm the pool reporter. I probably should have asked about the the play on the sidelines and you know, at least gotten some sort of. Um, account of why what you see but I think I, I would agree that I think you know, the offensive coordinator probably more more than the defensive coordinator but yeah. I think both of them because it's a play calling you know issue so yeah I think I think that would be a good thing because yeah it's always tough when you the unpaid um, student athlete has to answer all the take all the bullets whereas the the offensive coordinator who's now making 900k uh, does it have to? Yeah, and it was particularly uncomfortable this week when Spencer was basically the one who let us know that he was starting this week. Yeah, right. You know, yeah, when he says it's business as usual, <laughs> and you're like, okay, you know. Yeah. yeah that, that, and Kirk well, can say, well, well, that's what it showed on the depth chart, but that depth chart, I wouldn't wipe, you know, because it's just not very accurate right every week it's been wrong and i'm not going to blame the the sids you know steve Rowe or anybody for it that is what he's given and and, um so you don't know and and kirk's already kirk always makes fun of the depth chart yeah (laughs) i know he's the one who discredits it more than anybody yeah he's like oh is that what it says on there you know (laughs) things like that and and so it's hard for us to take it seriously. Fans take it way more seriously, especially like in the spring and then uh, Big Ten media days. They take it way seriously. But, you know, so it's hard to, to read into it. And then, you know, and, and last year I, I thought he was just going to try to be coy this week because I don't know what you heard, but I mean, I heard a lot of whispers or a few people talking that usually are pretty accurate saying it was going to be Alex this week. So um, that was – that was a little bit of a surprise that they went that route. I mean, yeah, I don't think there's any question. I, I think you probably agree with me that there's a bit of a power struggle going on right now with this decision. Yeah, absolutely, wholeheartedly. I think there's a lot of dissension. And uh, and I think if that continues, it's going to get more and more extreme, you know. And, and you know, you don't expect. 
Well, Scott's locked up, but it's probably my internet as we're live on YouTube. Try this. Hi, I'm Jim Street, owner of Streets Maintenance. As a licensed, insured, and bonded master plumber, I specialize in all plumbing repairs, including but not limited to water heater and sump pumps to toilet and faucet repairs and replacements. For more information about my business, I'm online at streetsmaintenance.com and Facebook, or give me a call at 400-4483. 400-4483. Oriza Asian Cuisine and Bar is celebrating its fifth year anniversary. Enjoy Chinese, Vietnamese, Thai, and Korean all combined into one menu. Visit Five Sturgis Corner Drive next to Staples in Iowa City. Open 11 to 10 every day, 365 days a year, or visit online at arisaic.com. Hi, this is AJ Perez, managing partner at Deary Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Waukee and Iowa City. I'm so proud of our team at both locations. We are committed to one thing, giving our customers the absolute best when it comes to service and a car buying experience, the kind of experience that brings you back. What makes us different? We believe at Deary, we don't just sell cars, we help people buy them. Ah, the joy of technology and MediaCon uh, working against us today, Scott. On my end, I apologize to everybody for the internet lockup. We are back. Don't have a ton left here. Uh, what were we talking about? The power struggle, right, at the quarterback decision? Is that where we were at? Yeah, I think that's probably about right, yeah. So it's just uh... – it's kind of difficult, you know, now because I, I think there's there are two kind of things in play. One is well, there. Th- sorry to interrupt, but I, refresh my memory here. Two thousand eight, there was a power struggle, I think, and in two thousand fourteen, correct? Two thousand fourteen was was interesting because I'm not so sure. I'm I'm sure that's kind of what Greg Davis was looking for. I'm I'm really sure more on. 2008 with Ken O'Keefe one yeah. Ricky Stans. Yeah, that one I feel pretty comfortable. And this so one, I there think, was a power struggle. Yeah, right. 2014 was a team power struggle. Yeah. I don't think it was the case in 08. I think 08 was, you know, maybe a little bit like now, which is just somebody needs to step up. Uh, but I think uh, by and large, when you're looking at the at, at this one, yeah, I think there's a there are people who are on the um, on the you know one side definitely of making a change and then then I think Kirk's on the other side of keeping things the same. I wonder what that breakdown was. I wonder if we if we took the vote well how it would come out. And if oh, Kirk would great, get outvoted. Yeah, no, you're right. I think Kirk would get outvoted. <laughs> I, 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 really, I really think that. So yeah, it's uh it's it's pretty strange dynamic. So Hopefully it all works out. Hopefully we get some positivity this week and, you know, a step forward and some of the heat comes off of everybody that the heat's on. Uh, wasn't that a, a Glenn Fry song? Oh, yeah, it's great Glenn Fry song. Yeah, the heat is on right now, Scott. Yeah, it is. So, <laughs> you know, th- there might be some I told you so's come Saturday night. Um, yeah. And, and it, you know, if, if Spencer has a great game, uh, the first people who are going to hear it are us. You know, yep. and he'll probably be staring right at me because I really <laughs> needed to make a change. And then he'll do that probably in his meeting room. And then, but the thing is, I, I would caution him from shoving uh, that 
in too many ears and up nostrils <laughs> because there's a lot of good teams coming up. And I, I would say, dare say, out of the, their 10 remaining regular season opponents, they're facing number 10 uh, this week. No question. Want to let folks know that support for this podcast comes from Systems Unlimited, celebrating 50 years of providing people living with disabilities and mental health needs throughout East Central Iowa. List of their services and upcoming events can be found at sui.org. As I said earlier, Scott, I don't think we need to spend a whole lot of time on Nevada. They got a 6'9 quarterback. That's kind of different. That's really different, but how is he going to be with the rush? I mean, yes. the rush is going to be there. And, th- you know, this is going to be an angry team come Saturday night. It's going to be a feisty team. It's going to be ready. It's going to be out to Jack, you know, like Ice-T would say back, <laughs> in, back in my old dude rap days. But uh, So I, I think this is going to be – I think it's going to be a bad night for Nevada's quarterback whether it's the 6'9 one who's the starter or the 6'6 one who's the backup, I don't know that I would like this is the right team that you would want to be statuesque against. I, I think this is going to be one hell of a Saturday night for Iowa fans. They do have an opportunistic defense. Again, you got to take into consideration the level of competition they've yeah. played. But, a lot, well, 11 turnovers, 7 picks? Yeah, I think that's right. Um, and again, you know, incarnate word is what making the transition upward, I think I want to say right now. I don't, I can't remember if they're FCS I think or they're, they're still FCS at least yeah. now. So, I mean, they, but it's they, an incarnate word. I know it's, they gave up <laughs> FGS, FBS, it doesn't really matter. You know, they gave up it's 55. just not, a, it's not a name that strikes fear in you. Incarnate no. word. It's like, no. eh, incarnate word. Very docile. Yeah. It's, uh, it's one that, uh, you know, even religious people need to figure out what that means. specifically. <laughs> but, uh, you know, going to New Mexico State and Texas State and winning games, you know, 20, you know, 23 to 12 to New Mexico State. I'm not going to see, uh, you know, I, I just I think this is I think this is going to be a fun gold rush night for Iowa. I, maybe they score. Maybe, you know, maybe they score a touchdown. That's it. I, I think this is going to be Iowa just going out there and loading up and making it ugly. I do. I, I think this is going to be, I think before the season, I picked it 45 to three. And I think this is the type of game that if Iowa gets in the second half, they're playing Nevada. They're not going to have any qualms about, they're not going to just shut it down. I think they're going to continue to go because they need, they need snaps. They need some confidence. They need some execution four quarters worth because they've had zero quarters worth so far. So I, I think this could be, I, I like Iowa for sure to, to cover on this one. Yeah. It's some numbers at about, what's it at 23 now? Is that, I think I, it started yeah. at 21 and a half and I think it's gone up to 23. So we'll get to those picks in a minute here. Um, I think the one scenario that I don't want to see, I don't think it will happen, but I think it would behoove the Iowa fans that if Iowa goes three and out or struggles on their first offensive series, not to boot, just let, let a little bit of this game go by and support the team. And I think that will be that if you can give them energy, I think they'll feed off of that and be on their way as Scott says. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what you want to see. I mean, you know, 
support support the players as much as you can. I understand though, if you're in the second quarter and it's you know the quarterback's two for eight, I can I can understand it at that point. But three and out off the bat or a bad throw right off the bat, unless it's an interception for a touchdown. <laughs> I would then then I'm like you know what you, you had your chance so yeah be like David Putty paint your face and support the team yeah more <laughs> <laughs> old man references today old dude yeah, references today right yeah they're out in full force I think we've uh, I think we've thoroughly covered uh, Iowa football and and this this week's game at least what needs to be covered in terms of previewing this week's game. Uh, night game, so everybody behave yourselves and uh, be nice. Um, they do have a they do have a new quarterback coming in in 2024, Jacksonville, Florida. That's- yeah, that's true. I did not talk about the uh, recruiting end of this. Um, James Resar uh, visited last weekend, his second visit to campus, and uh, I think he either camped or just visited in June, but uh, committed this week. Um, much like Padilla and Labus and Marco Linnaeus, not dual threat quarterbacks. I would not call them that. They're mobile quarterbacks. They're guys that can move. And I think that's a good approach for Iowa in recruiting this position. I agree. Get somebody, you know, I don't think anybody is suggesting, well, if they are, then I understand, but it's not going to happen. I don't think anybody's suggesting Lamar Jackson. No, it'd be great you know, to have him. I think yeah, he can help this offense. I think he can help everybody's <laughs> offense, this one in particular. Or, you know, but I think if you get somebody who's as mobile as C.J. Beathard, you know, and Jake Rudock had a lot of yards that nobody remembers. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I look back, I'm like, wow, I didn't realize you had that, that many. Uh, if you get somebody that, hey, they can break, when things are breaking down, you can take off and run, or every now and then schedule a run. And when you got James Rizar, who runs a sub 10 and he's only a junior in high school. And, and played last year with a broken leg. Yeah. <laughs> tough kid, you know. <laughs> he's so, a tough kid. So, I, I, you know, and the fact that he committed on the weekend and – Stay After watching that, yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, he, he he committed before the game. Then he decided, you know, sat and watched it, and didn't decommit. <laughs> exactly. You know what? That says a lot about him. And, and you know, I think uh, Linus is the same way. You know that it's it's really, uh, you know, it, the the thing going forward is they're just going to have to make sure that they uh, take in take that into account it doesn't have to again it doesn't have to be a um you know a lamar jackson or or even brad some banks. of the other it'd be nice you know, if it was brad banks yeah i mean brad banks is not i mean he was a pass first guy that's yep. why he did so well uh um, cj stroud and bryce young prefer to stay in the pocket and throw but they have the ability to move if needed exactly you know or you don't even need a now this would be another great one Antoine Randall L. Yeah, uh, that would be fantastic. But, but you know, you know what I was going to do. They're going to stick to that. But just have somebody who can run once in a while, get you positive yards, get you out of sacks. Um, I think that's really what they're what they need to aim for. And it looks like it, you know that everybody else after Petrus is kind of at least in that category for an extent. You know, I don't the the mystery man in this whole thing is Carson May. 
you know, because we really didn't get a chance to see him much because when he committed, it was during COVID. And, and uh, you know, I'd like, you know, I, and we didn't see him, I don't think, take a snap, really. He dressed, no, he didn't in the kids' day. He dressed for the first game, but not for the second. Yeah. So I don't know what happened on scouting or something. There. Yeah, not sure what's going on there. Another uh, important uh, visitor last weekend for the Iowa State game, Waverly Shellrock linebacker Asa Newsom. We had a great podcast with him last night, Scott. He just he carried that thing, and that's kind of what yeah. you like. You're talk, you're kind of like, okay, I'm talking to a high school kid here. I'm an old dude. Um, yeah. You know, can we connect here and have a, a decent discussion? And we really did. And I thought he laid out kind of where he is in his recruitment, how he feels about Iowa and the other schools that are interested in him, which are Minnesota, Kansas State, and Stanford. Uh, you know, his relationship with Caden Proctor and Aiden Hall and Alex Moda. Get a chance to listen to it. It's on this feed. You can find it. Uh, I recorded it uh, last night on uh, September 14th. Last night it dropped. Uh, so check that out. I think Iowa's in a good position here. He has a really good relationship with Seth Wallace. Uh, he's just not sure yet. and. That's what you want, right? You want the guys to make sure they, they – you're never 100%, but you at least want to feel like, okay, I'm, I'm comfortable making this decision because transfer portal, you know, it's the thing, so many kids, I think, rush to decisions. And it's kind of refreshing when a guy is – not that other guys that make earlier decisions are wrong, but yeah. that a guy's being really thoughtful and, and trying to come to the best decision for himself. Yeah, I agree. I'm going to definitely have to check that out because I've been wondering about him too. You know, it's kind of, it's gone, you know, it's been a while since he took the the big visit weekend and he's one of the what last two or three, I think that are out there that were on the visit that just never have, have picked a team yet. So I've been wondering, I think he, I think he'll make a really good box linebacker for Iowa if that's what he decides. Yeah. To. He hung, he, I mean, it, it certainly must have, I mean, it couldn't have hurt Iowa to have him hang with Caden Proctor, Alex Moda, and Aiden Hall at the Iowa State game. I'm, I'm, and he likes all of those guys, too. So that, yeah. that had to have helped. Yeah, sure. Well, it's, what, about an hour and a half from Waverly to Iowa City, and it's about, oh, three hours from Minneapolis. So, you know, and then Chris Kleiman, who knows, maybe he'll be at uh, Nebraska next year. Yeah. And uh, – he talked about climbing and the connections, the Waterloo and all that stuff about, yeah. you know, that being a factor. And he likes, he's, it, it, I, you have to listen to the podcast. I don't want to give too much away because he was really thoughtful, but I mean, he just really gets it. He's like, I know a lot of people don't like PJ Fleck. They don't get, they don't like that, his shtick, so to speak. He goes, but I think it's genuine. I connect with him. So check out the podcast. Everybody check it out, please, if you would. Um, for Aces, Aces can't say safe, not me, and just put up with me while you're listening to it. Um, <laughs> let's flip over to some games, Scott. Well, we, uh, we, we apologize for not doing this last week. We didn't, Scott had it, uh, added up. I did not, but, uh, we combined to add up the first two weeks of the season with our picks. We probably should let people know how we're doing so they can act accordingly, Scott. And at this point, <laughs> Take Scott's picks, leave my picks. Um, I'm in the Bet Rivers contest with Hawk Fanatic, uh, with a bunch of other media folks from around the state. But um, I am one in nine in my picks in that contest. <laughs> After winning the 
March Madness contest. I won the college basketball contest, beat everybody in that. Now I'm in last place in this one. That does not show well for somebody who covers the sport. But um, I am currently at 10, 14, and 1. Scott is at 14, 10, and 1. We were both 4, 6, and 1 week one. Scott got me by four games last week. He had Iowa State. I had Iowa. Um, and I was bragging earlier about how I put money down on Iowa winning the West and going over seven and a half wins. Um, I'm not feeling as good about those bets, but I'm not giving up yet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's uh, yeah. There's gotta be. Cause the West is a mess. Yeah. True. I mean, Iowa's got a gr- offense has to grow like a Chia pet, you know, to get, get <laughs> yeah. to that one right now. So, uh, but, but it's possible. I mean, if, if, if they're, if their offense, if they can get, figure out run game. Yes. And pass game just gets marginally better. Then, you know, but but then again, they got to play Michigan and Ohio State. That's just, it's not like playing, well, they are playing Rutgers too, but it's not like playing Indiana and, you know, another team. You know, even Penn State is probably not to the level of those two, at least, I mean, they're no, close. Not, but, not right now. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, there's a lot, uh, a lot going on. Um, so uh, should we go through the, the games here? Yeah, you want to go or you want me to? Yeah. Oh, I can. Let's let's start with uh, Big Noon on Big Ten Network. <laughs> uh, Western Kentucky at Indiana. Indiana giving up six and a half. I got to find that on my card here. Where the heck is? Oh, there it is. I put IU instead of Indiana and threw myself off. Um, this is an interesting game. Um, Western Kentucky is not a pushover here. I'm still not a believer in Indiana. Yeah. Um, I'm going to take the points here, Scott. Okay, you're going to take Western Kentucky. Um, this is tough. They're two and zero. They beat Austin P, who's eh. Let's know. go P. Let's go P. Great, great. One of the great ones. <laughs> I, I had a couple of my high school friends went and played baseball there. One set the Ohio Valley Conference record and stole. They had a little back. run in the NCAA basketball tournament, right? That's kind yeah. of when they made the Let's Go P. Yeah, famous. Absolutely. Uh, IU that this is going to be, I don't know, you know, they're, they're, uh, I, I'm going to, I'm going to go with, I'm going to go with Western Kentucky. I think maybe IU wins, but I think it might be uh, a field goal type game. I, but that hook I might, again, man, that's six yeah. and a hook that, that yeah. hook always, uh, triggers me. I guess by the way they played against Idaho, and I know you're just, I'm just looking really at the score more than anything else. I mean, 13 points to Idaho, they should have won that by six touchdowns. I mean, it's just not very good. Uh, UConn at Michigan, Michigan giving up 47 this week <laughs> after 52 last week. These Michigan point spreads are just insane. Yeah. UConn is bad, really bad. Yeah. But um, 48, I took Michigan last week with those points and, and they ended up giving Hawaii 10 probably yeah. in garbage time right I, I didn't watch the game but I'm not ma- I'm not making that mistake again I'm taking UConn in the points okay you're taking the UConn in the points um <laughs> I uh, and the quarterback controversy is over in Ann Arbor yeah JJ McCarthy is is the, the guy I'm gonna go UConn as well um they're they're bad, but they've got Jim Morge here now as their head coach. I think they're actually playoffs. Yeah, no, the the dad he, in, he inherited that. Yeah, he inherited. Yeah. It's by uh, it's by relation. He gets yeah, exactly. tagged with that as well. Uh-huh. 
once removed. <laughs> so yeah, I'm going to go with Connecticut as well, but you know, Michigan's going to win big. It's yeah. just, is it going to be 38 to 10, you know, or 45 to 10? Well, that's still, uh, I'll go with UConn on that one. If it's um, a blowout, do they put Cade McNamara in? Yeah, I think you have to, wouldn't you? you know, yeah, sure that's just, that, what an uncomfortable situation. Well, we got to watch that because you never know. Kate McNamara could be at Iowa next year. Could be Portal. the trade off for, for Jake Rudolph. Yeah. Yeah. They add a player later. Uh, although Oliver Martin probably qualified for that. Um, Oklahoma at Nebraska. Oklahoma opened as what, like three and a half? And now it's like 10 and a half because of the coaching change. I got 11, but yeah, it's over. It's over okay. 10. I know that. Okay. Well, 11. Uh, what, what do you think? Um, I'll, I'll, <laughs> I think that I think they're begging you to take Oklahoma, yeah, with this point spread, and I will. Okay, <laughs> I will All take right. Oklahoma. I'm going to go with uh, with Nebraska. I'm going to say right. first time we part ways today. Yeah, I'm going to say Nebraska is uh, going to do something. I'm not going to pick them to win or anything, but you know, Mickey Joseph at home, they play a good game. Everybody's going to be very very excited in, in Lincoln. You know, where the boys are the squarest and the girls are the fairest. Or whatever, so. <laughs> I was listening to your colleague Mitch Sherman on Todd Bromelkamp's show yesterday, and he doesn't think Mickey Joseph has a chance at the job unless he goes like 72. Yeah, I, I agree. And that's probably correct. Yeah. Well, you know, the one thing that I think we can say about Trev Alberts is he is not going to look for the um, – eye candy on this one mm-hmm. he's going to look for a builder type and you know they and they've always screwed up you know i, I mean both Lini wasn't a bad hire necessarily but temperament wise i don't think that he was the right guy i think that they've got three guys on their border in a different conference that they could lean on <coughs> lyman campbell and lance Leepold at ku i think any of the three would make a great pick for them as long as they just but tell people just just don't write and talk about Tom Osborne for a little while. So just let that. I, I mean, you, you think about it, you're like, man, Tom Osborne retired before Aiden Fry did. I know, and, and yet they treat it like he's, you know, still there. And the, the, I don't think Campbell you know, makes that move. Do you? I don't know. That's a good question because at this point, I thought he was going to move to USC. It seemed like it was going to happen. It did because Lincoln Riley stepped in. Um, you know, what What kind of place makes sense for him based on where the Big 12 is? He's got to yeah. make that judgment. But the Big 12 now uh, is going to be guaranteed a representative in the playoff, basically. I mean, you know, one of six conferences. Yeah. Are you kidding me? Playoffs? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But uh, they're going to be in the playoff. The Big 12 uh, champs. So, yeah. Yeah. I love Jim Moore, but. <laughs> Now he so I, I think that he's uh, you know he, so he's got some things there, but can can they continue to recruit at a decent level, mm-hmm. and can they uh, um, can he still pay his assistants? You know when the the money kind of trickles down a little bit in Big Twelve. So I don't know. That's a big question for him, and you know because he could be their statue coach, no question. I'd probably go with climbing myself, but yeah. He's done it at North Dakota State. He's got that hard-nosed style of play, and he's also got the adaptability on offense. So I, I would expect that to be a uh, – I, I would rank him probably number one if I was there. All, All right, right, enough uh, Nebraska talk. Let's move yeah. on with these picks. All right. 
Southern Illinois, the Salukis at Northwestern. Northwestern's given up 15 and a half. I'm going to take uh, the Fighting Fitzes. I will too, even though they burned me last week and looked like Duke diddly poo against uh, Duke. Yeah, I agree. This is a sneaky, really good game. Purdue at Syracuse. Syracuse is a much better team than, than I think we've noticed in the last few years. Uh, you know, they, they beat, uh, Louisville 31 to seven. They're two and oh, they're at home. Purdue, I think, looks really good as well. They're on the road. It's a one point. Uh, game for Syracuse, and I like Sean Tucker, their running back, quite a bit. Um, I'm going to take Hughes. I'm going to take Hughes. It's pretty much a winner pick, but I'm going to take Hughes and give up one point. Yeah, this is a tough one because I agree with you. Syracuse kind of flies under the radar a lot, um, but very solid program. Um, under, under Dino Babers, who uh, – Interesting that he's kind of stayed there and, and kind of built up a pretty solid program because they floundered for a lot of years. We had the uh, misfortune of sitting in that carrier dome years ago, sweating in a place that is sponsored by a uh, – is it still the carrier dome or is it not that? Didn't they stop that partnership? Yeah, I think they renamed it. But, uh, yeah, I didn't get to go. That was like my first year Okay, uh, here. I was only here a couple of weeks. When it was hot. Oh. The stand. I'm taking Purdue. Okay. All right. And the point. And the point. All right. Uh, next week's opponent for Iowa, Rutgers, giving up 17 and a half, making the short trek to Temple and Philadelphia. So, this is uh this is a uh, I don't say a rivalry game, but proximity. These schools do not like each other. Yeah. It should Are they playing this at the link? Are they playing this at the Eagles field? I think that's where uh, yeah, Temple yep, plays. Yep, that's where they are. So, yep, tickets are as low as thirty-four dollars. Yeah, that's, so, a, that's too much. Yeah, they uh, <laughs> they got shut out by Duke thirty to nothing, and then they beat Lafayette. So uh, you know, some Temple is. Uh, <laughs> and, well, I, I'm going with Rutgers. I think Rutgers is, if if nothing else, is hard nosed, and yeah, they're going to want to battle because I think this is. You know, this is recruiting turf here. Yep. You know, this is what goes on. So, yeah, I'm going to go with Rutgers. I'm with you. I'm going with it. But, again, I'll be a broken record. I hate that hook, man. I hate that half point. So you're still going to take uh, – I will take Rutgers. Is it 17 and a half? Is that what you yeah, have? 17 yeah. and a half. Yeah. So I'll the 31-14, we're going to be going, come on, field goal. Yep. Um, Colorado at Mighty Minnesota. Minnesota giving up 27 and a half. That is a lot of points. Um, Colorado is not a very good team. I mean, they're 0 2, and uh, they got blown out by TCU and Air Force. Uh, last week, they're on the road. This week, they're, they're traveling to the, the Mighty Gophers. Um, I hate doing this because I think Minnesota is more than capable of playing an A, but I'm going to go with the Mighty Gophers because I think their running game travels, even if it's just across the street. And uh, I don't know that Colorado can keep up with it. So I'm going to go with Gophers, uh, win big again. Yeah, I'm going with the Gophers. My analysis is that Colorado stinks. Yeah. Yeah. That's one of the – it's interesting. Stuart Mandel, you know, who I work with, uh, our editor-in-chief, uh, wrote a story about them. 
you know, just kind of how they've fallen. And we did kind of, we're doing kind of a series on wayward programs and Colorado, man, they used 20 years ago, they were, they were awesome. But now they're. Yeah, you wonder what would happen if Mel Tucker would have stayed. Yeah, it's true. You know, because that was probably the first uh, Ivan Drago moment. Here bring up another old dude movie. <laughs> you know, when Rocky beat hit Ivan Drago, that was probably the first one to Scott Frost when Mel Tucker rallied and beat him. You know, and then we realized that Scott Frost is not a machine. He's amazing. <laughs> um, <laughs> Penn State at Auburn. Penn State giving up three on the road um, down there. Uh, Jordan Hare, and I'm going to go with uh, Penn State. I think they're pretty good. I don't think Auburn is. I think Auburn has struggled. This might be close, closer than it would be if it was at a neutral site or in Happy Valley, but I think that the Nittany Lions are the better team by far. Yeah, I haven't I haven't gotten much uh much of a chance to check out what Auburn's got going on. Um I'm with you. I think Penn State's played pretty well so far. But I am going to just go with a hunch here and take Auburn. Just because that's a tough place to play, and uh, I want to see how Penn State holds up on the road in a tough SEC environment, and I'm not okay. sure that it will. Well, you know, San Jose State—they beat San Jose State last week, 24-16 at home. So, um, but then again, Iowa beat. <laughs> you know, there's let's no way to compare that. Let's not yeah. bring. Let's not bring the Hawkeyes into this discussion. Yeah. Right. New Mexico State, the fighting road kills uh, at Wisconsin, who's given up 37. I think this is the uh, the game where Wisconsin says, uh-uh, we're not going to let this happen again after last week. And I'm going to take the the Badgers to win like 45 to nothing, you know, something like that. So I'm with you. I'm going with the Badgers here, and, and a large part because New Mexico State stinks. Toledo at Ohio State. Um, Toledo is one of the best teams in the MAC. Um, Ohio State giving up 31. I don't care if they're one of the best teams in the MAC and giving up 31. I'm going to go with Ohio State, even with uh, I think Jackson and Jigba is kind of out, but uh, I'm still going to go that route. I'm with you taking the Buckeyes at home. I think uh, they uh, they don't mind beating up on the smaller. Uh, schools within the state borders and I think no. they will this week. Yeah, I think they could hang or at least compete for a little while, but I just don't see them. Shout out much. Brett Balbinot. Yeah. <laughs> Good Lord. <laughs> Good Lord. They scored again. Good Lord. Good Lord. <laughs> um, here's a here's a fascinating game to me. Michigan State at Washington. Michigan State is a three point favorite. Um, on the road I and Washington has won two they won two decisively it's a long trip as we know the Mel Tuckers yeah you cut out there for a minute um, or I cut out. I think yeah. it was still, I think you were still going. Uh, you okay. said you're taking Michigan State here. No, I'm taking Washington. Okay, I'm going to take them to to win, even though they're a three point. So this is Washington and not Washington State. I wrote down Washington State. It's Washington. Washington okay. State played at uh, Wisconsin last week. So I trust you. These are the Huskies. I'm an idiot. Um, that's a tough one. 
I'll take I'll just to be contrarian, I'll take the Spartans on I'll take Sparty on the road plus the three. All right, we're back. <laughs> we're back. <laughs> I don't know. That might have been me. It was weird. I just saw no internet, and then all of a sudden, pop back up. Yeah. Um, it was probably you. Probably caught the disease that my internet has. Yeah. So, which one are we at? You're still at Michigan State, Washington, according to me. Here. Yeah, I took I took uh, Sparty. You took Sparty. Okay. Well, let's hope we can get through the last two here real quick. <laughs> so. Um, Michigan, or I mean, I'm talking Michigan. Um, SMU at Maryland. Maryland giving up three. Um, I think this could be a really exciting game. If this wasn't on at the same time, I'd be really interested in in watching it. Um, I I love this quarterback duel with Tanner Mordecai for SMU and Talia Tagla Viola for Maryland. I'm going to go with Maryland. But I think this could be like a hell of fun game, like a 45-42 kind of game. Yeah, scoreboard operator will be busy in this one. Um, I'm going to go with you. I'm going to go with the Terrapins because it's at it's at Maryland. Not You and I have both been there. Not that it's a great home environment or anything like yeah. that, but uh, it's a long trip for SMU. Right. I mean, really, they both are similar programs in a lot of ways. I mean, I guess I could yeah. – SMU is like, to me, once uh, Houston, Cincinnati, and BYU elevate, it's like SMU and Boise State are kind of like the next two of the, mm-hmm. you know, friend prominence. And then finally, the one we're going to cover, I, I have it at 23 and a half for Iowa. Okay. Uh, what do you have at 23? I had it at 23, but I'll put okay. the hook on yeah, the Yeah, no, no I, I did actually. I, I'm sorry. I messed up. That, that was, I was looking at a different one. Right. Um, you have it at 23? Yeah, I have it at 23. Okay. Yeah. I'm going Iowa. I think this one's big. I think this one's decisive. I think this one gets shelved early. I, you know, and maybe it's, maybe it's foolish. Maybe I'm going out on a limb. I just think that we've seen this time and again, uh, you know, they're not playing well, they're not playing well. And then all of a sudden they get sick of it and they start playing well. And they kind of put themselves back to being irrelevant rather than a laughing stock. I think Iowa wins. 23, my 23 to me is an easy cover. I think this one, if you added 10 more points, I'd probably still take Iowa. Yeah, I'm still kind of so-so on the points um, just because of, you know. Right. No, I guess. What I've seen so far in terms of Iowa putting up points. But Nevada is just not good right now. It's a new coaching staff. Yeah. They lost a ton of players. It's just – it's not a good team. And as we've said throughout the podcast, this is Iowa's easiest game. If it's not now, it may not happen. So I think Iowa covers up to 23. Um, I'm not sure it's much more than that. I can see, you know, maybe like a 30 to three, something like that uh, outcome. 
uh, or a shutout, you know, 27 nothing, something like that. But uh, I think the offense shows some signs of life, at least this week. And then uh, then we'll be back next week to, to talk about how that translates into the Big Ten. Right. Absolutely. So, yeah. Um, who knows? Uh, you know, maybe uh, I'm not saying I'm wishful thinking by any stretch. That's I'm not getting into that part. But but I just I think for some reason this could be kind of a breakout game. Shut everybody up and blah, blah, yeah. blah. And then, um, then, then we'll see, you know, what, what they do next week against Rutgers, who I think will, if nothing else, be a very physical game. And then, uh, and then of course, then you get into the, the real <laughs> Big Ten season, you know, against real Big Ten teams that you face, uh, Michigan, and Illinois, that, those guys. You know, we didn't mention it, Scott, but I think Gavin Williams, if he is 100% and can and play, you know, back to uh, his level, you know, if he's fully healthy this week, I think that's a, I think that is a boost to the running game. Nothing against Caleb Johnson. Uh, I just think he's run a little bit tentative so far. Um, and, and that's to be expected. He's a true freshman. He's only played two games. Uh, but I, and, and Gavin Williams' leadership, I, I, I like him being back in that huddle. Yeah, I agree. I do. He's, he's got a maturity about him that <clears throat> kind of, uh, you know, is beyond his years. I think when he's probably 21 years old, I mean, he feels like you're, it feels like you're talking to an, uh, an adult, yes. you, know, a, you know, a pro and, uh, and he carries himself that way. And he's, he's more full service than the other running backs. LaShawn Williams is, is a, has been a good runner. I think uh, Gavin is, is a much better pass receiver. And I think that's really essential right now. So um, if he can go out and do that, and I think they'll be, they'll be fine. And he and LaShawn Williams will kind of carry the mail. And then, you know, maybe in the fourth quarter, you might see more uh, Caleb Johnson and or Jazz Patterson at some point. We got four games to play with, with him. And this would be a good one to kind of get his feet wet a little bit. So, yeah. Yeah. Hopefully they're running the football. Well, that'll open up things for the play action and maybe get some throws down the field and uh, everybody will sing Kubaya after the game. And uh, Scott and I will be back to talk to you next week on the Hawkeye hotspot podcast, hopefully with better internet. My internet provider is coming out Monday. And hopefully we don't have the hiccup we had today, but appreciate everybody listening to the podcast. Those folks that watched, watched on YouTube. I did not open up the chat room today because I didn't realize it was closed, but I will try to fix that next week. So you guys can get in there and chat. We can check that out too while we are podcasting and be able inter- interactive that way. But uh, thanks for listening. Have a good rest of your week. Enjoy the game. And we will talk to you next week. Say goodbye, Scott. Goodbye, Scott.